0: So, how on God's gray earth did this clouds got in my way? I've looked
1: at clouds from both sides now, up and,
0: and this
1: to come from different places. This. Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone They paid paradise, put up a parking lot Hey farmer, farmer, put away the DDT now
0: Become this
1: don't go to strangers Lovers
2: listening to Detours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, eh, maybe their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Uh... Just a reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook groups, and uh, we have a website at detoursandoutliers.com. This week on the panel, we have Logan Renard, Matthew Moore. My name is Scott Livingston, and this week we do have a special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself, special guest?
3: Well, I guess my name is Leah Wilson. Um, You're doing this over Skype, and what is it, week three of quarantine right? So, exactly. we're kind of you know hobbling this together separately, but syncing it. Are you syncing it in post, or what are we doing with the audio? Yeah, we
2: will sync it in post somehow. It's all magic. It's 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 yeah. I'm, I'm afraid to say anything about it because stuff changes by the hour, much less by the time this comes out. But um, yes, we are in mid quarantine when this is being recorded. So either that means something to you, or it's a uh, quaint. Look back in the past, but um, speaking of looks back in the past, we're discussing an album from the heady days of 2000 this year. Uh, it's uh, a Joni Mitchell album called Both Sides Now. I'm rather surprised that Joni hadn't put out an album called Both Sides Now until then, but um, this is her 17th album, I think, and uh, I guess just start off with various thoughts on Joni in general she's pretty awesome yeah This a good start I mean she's known mostly for her um, her guitar playing and her uh, songwriting so doing this album will be a challenge because uh, she neither plays guitar nor writes any new songs for it it's, uh, it's an album of standards which has become something uh, that a lot of you know Older former rock stars have have done in their later years. So,
4: didn't she sort of get her start as a folky yeah. adjacent kind of person? Yeah, it she was definitely not,
2: yeah girl with guitar at the coffee shop
0: type of vibe. But uh, she left that behind. I think she won her first um, Grammy or the Canadian version of the Grammy or something. Uh, for a for a folk in the folk category, um, I do know that that uh, she's a uh, she's a great songwriter, um, a very competent singer, and a, a innovative guitar player. And she uh, is clearly, you know, kind of a household name because she's a pop star. But at the same time, she seems to have garnered enormous respect among some pretty um, badass musicians. That she's accumulated over time to play for her and her various bands and the like and um this album it doesn't seem like a a surprise in that sense that that there's um you know some pretty keen musicianship on all of this even if it is more in a uh, classical or um you know you said standards kind of vibe rather than a folk or rock album well, she did have like Jocko playing on a, a lot of her like mid seventies albums,
4: didn't get, she? Get on your uh, um, YouTube and watch the the live performance from the uh, Shadows and Light tour, which is like Pat Metheny, uh, uh, Jocko, um, I probably Pete on drums. It's like basically half of Weather Report and Joni Mitchell, and so that's the kind of talent she was pulling especially in that period. And then she went on, you know, she did an album with Mingus before he died. And it's like kind of crazy. Yeah. And the the interesting thing about that is early on, I know she was sort of rejected by the, the extra traditional folky folks early in her career. Cause she kind of, she's a very idiosyncratic artist. Like she, I, you know, I think she's mostly self-taught, you know, with, with music. And so she has some very uh, unique ways of doing things both on guitar and and vocally that, that kind of pull from all over the place. And I I think throughout her career, she definitely pissed off both people who are very traditional in the jazz world and very traditional in the folky world by being, you know, too weird to fit in with whatever was going on at the time. But you get to the eighties and you have the best players on the planet like happily in her band. And so she's got to have something interesting going on for her. If, you know, if, if your band is half a weather report in the eighties, like that's pretty cool. (laughs) So her doing jazz is not
2: really that much of a stretch, but I don't think she's ever really done covers up until this point. Um, From what I've read, the, uh, the, the impetus for this album actually started from a, a Don Henley concert that he or tribute or benefit that he put together where he got a bunch of female singers in front of an orchestra and Joni just loved singing in front of an orchestra so much that she um, arranged this whole thing to happen but I don't know what do you what do you think of uh, Joni Mitchell Aaliyah?
3: Well I know for a long time in grad school school I actually was like analyzing her lyrics with poetry so I see her as a poet but once you listen to her music too you're like wow she's an innovator on guitar and then once you get to the 80s you're like wait she's also an innovator in folk and jazz and this is kind of like the album where it like all mixes together right you know Cause, like if you're doing standards you know you, I guess you can mess up a standard but doing it like this on this album is like a piece of cake for her so yeah. I feel like she's she has it on lockdown in, like, every single realm. So, that takes a lot of respect for me, I believe.
2: Well, and, and the thing is, she does include two of her own songs alongside these, you know, quote-unquote standards or classics, and they fit in just fine. I mean, you know, they're not, they may be not as, you know, youthful as they were when they were written back in 69 or 71 or whatever, but, you know, they they don't, like, stand out like a sore thumb or anything either, so they fit Apparently, this whole album was um, conceived of as, you know, supposed to represent like the stages of a of an entire affair from initial flirtation through breakup and, you know, reconciliation and acceptance and whatnot. And I think that's, you know, as we go through the album, we will have to sort of figure out where they are in their relationship because this album was actually co-produced by her ex-husband, uh, Larry Klein. So that's... <laughs>
4: kind of adds to the irony of it. I I, I think uh, we should mention that Joni is like I you know a pretty gnarly I don't know she's rock and roll as hell is what I'm trying to get to <laughs> like it's like J- Joni Mitchell and Lemmy could hang out or something yeah. like I, I think they've done whatever the hell they wanted however the hell they wanted to their entire careers and uh, to hear her sing some of the you know, uh, sad bastard songs or or kind of gnarly breakup songs. It's like it works because she's, <laughs> she's she's like, like had a crazy gnarly life, you know. Well, that is one thing I noticed
2: listening to this album is she does sound far more comfortable singing the the more sad breakup songs than the happy in love songs. But that just yeah. may be you know part of it is her age. I mean, a lot of reviews compared this album to like later day Billy holiday because of the sort of husky smoky quality to her voice. That just, you know, I don't know exactly how old she was in 2000, but she
4: wasn't, you know, the, the young flower child she was on, you know, clouds or whatever. Yeah. You find yourself thinking, you know, like, wow, David Lynch has a really pretty voice on
1: <laughs> some, of
4: these, some of these things. <laughs>
2: But Apparently, the album when it first came out was originally run in a limited edition um, version with a box of chocolates on Valentine's Day, which is kind of weird. It's
3: like the breakup, you know? Like, oh, well, if you're fat, you can eat a box of chocolates, Whitman right.
2: Well, that's the best part of Valentine's Day is the, the you, <laughs> know, you know clearance sales on you know boxes of Whitman samplers. You know, February fifteenth. That's that's what I look forward to every year.
0: That's right. like that. This is a story we've encountered on this podcast before that it seems that she recorded this album, at least in part because of an obligation to a record company.
2: Yeah, I, I there was one reviewer or interview where she was saying, you know, I write songs that reflect my feelings and my feelings right now are very angry. And even I don't want to hear an album like that. So I had to record other people's songs. <laughs> so that was part of why she did this album, and part of it was she wanted to get done with her record contract because the album she did after this uh, travel log is just more of her own songs done with an orchestra. And after that, she was like called it quits for like five years. Then put out one more album and it hasn't been heard from since. I mean, she's still around, but she's just yeah been sort of done since like two thousand six, two thousand seven, I think.
0: And the other the other element as well with the the smoky kind of vocals, um, she was known to be a very heavy smoker. That might account for that. But apparently, um, she had some vocal issues. I don't know if she had a um, you know health problems or what or what it was, but her her vocal range had changed. Um, it, yeah. it, it lowered a bit. She couldn't quite reach the high notes, but she was singing in a slightly lower register. And um, I wonder if this album wasn't in part. Um, kind of trying to deal with that you know like what, what am I going to do with my voice now let's try this well she is very adaptive I mean apparently a lot of
2: her guitar playing style comes from the fact that she doesn't have very strong fingers so what she had to learn to do is tune the guitar into all sorts of weird configurations so that what she could do with her limited finger strength was more powerful and interesting resourceful yes and Canadian I think it's part of
4: the or Neil or buddies. Yeah. She hung
2: out with a lot of the, the Laurel Canyon crowd, although she always seemed a little bit above them too. I mean, I think part of her. Yeah. I mean, she had, you know, a lot of people dismissing her out of hand just because of her gender initially. Um, so she became rather wouldn't say defensive, but she's built up a, a self-confidence to sort of compensate for that and i think that does rub people the wrong way still to this day who find her a little i don't know spiky or hard to get to know or get past but i think that's
4: you know given her talent it's earned she's awesome yeah screw them (laughs) yeah indeed well, isn't it the, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't it Joni Mitchell at the Isle of Wight Festival? Isn't there pretty famous footage of her being heckled by the audience pretty severely because of, you know, not being traditional enough? I know she performed at one of those Isle of Wight festivals. Um, I, I seem to remember them being pretty pissed that she was, you know, either playing an electric guitar or just doing weird, you know, not traditional open tuning things and that. People were not not psyched on that, um, and so I think what you know, the, everybody talks about you know Dylan going electric being a big deal and pissing people off, but Joni Mitchell caught a lot of flack from hardcore folkies for not quite fitting into the box just right, and uh, yeah, I mean even even at a, a really famously awesome performance, people were you know this is weird. <laughs>
2: Well, and that's, uh, I think, part of what makes this album so interesting is, you know, she is a constantly weird, defiant individual person, and to see her in this sort of almost traditionalist form, you know, I mean, she knocks it out of the park, but it is still sort of,
4: yeah. Mm. Well, Is it a bit of a, a reverse troll kind of thing? Yeah. It's a, like, you guys always gave me crap about not being able to do this, you know, do this right, and here you go. Like Indeed. I can do it easily. Well, should we dive into it? Um, I think
2: the first track is—you know—we're starting off the beginning of the relationship, so we're we're just flirting now. I don't even think they've met, but it's a "You're My Thrill" um, by Sydney Clare and Jay Gorney.
1: You're my thrill. How my pulse increases I just go to pieces Every time I look at you I can't keep still
2: So apparently a third of the songs on here were recorded with like some huge, super-sized orchestra, and another third were recorded with just a regular orchestra, and the last third were just like a a big band kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure which of the sizes of orchestra we're hearing here, but it is definitely very orchestral.
0: There's a lot of syrup on this one.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So the arranging on this album is fantastic. I was just looking it up and it, Vince Mendoza did most of it and uh, he's done a bunch of I like rec- recognize a bunch of Brecker Brothers stuff and a bunch of I don't know pretty awesome 80s fusiony era <laughs> stuff with lots of horns. And so again, she's she's pulling the the baddest people on earth, you know, to be her backup band. <laughs> so that's pretty cool
3: that's how you do it if you're trying to leave your record label like pull out all the tops please
4: that'll cost them some money yeah they're not going to give you any of that money back so might as well <laughs> yeah
2: I don't know how expensive this was to make but it probably cost something
4: are you um, I definitely had some uh Flashbacks to the the space opera. Sinatra oh, the Sinatra sorry. space opera, yes. Just because of the the syrupy production and just big big orchestral arrangements and everything.
0: I think this sounds better. It does.
4: <laughs> well, it was
2: recorded, you know, twenty years later, so technology probably caught up a bit too, which helped.
4: I I think this is very traditional like i i think uh yes i think these songs because they're are they're one of the reasons their standards is because the melodies are complex enough but not so complex that you can't like whistle them and there's deliberately space for syrupy band arrangement stuff and that that's why they work whereas the the sinatra thing was kind of crazy <laughs> yeah yeah, if this had come out in like 1956 with like Peggy
2: Lee singing on it, it wouldn't have sounded out of place at all. No, not at all. So this is the start of the concept, right? Uh, yeah. The, initially, you're my thrill. Uh, clearly, by the end, whoever this is will not
0: be her thrill anymore. But we'll see see how this goes. It's weird. Even this song though feels a bit um, maudlin to me, which is, it is uh, melancholy. Yes. Yeah. You know, it seems uh yeah i'm not quite sure what kind of thrill it is i suppose it's it's a it's a it's not a
2: cheap thrill it's a right it's, it's a minor thrill
0: yeah <laughs> it's, <laughs> or it's some deep heartfelt romantic maybe this is the chocolate heart thrill i don't know
2: yeah she's been around long enough she knows what this is too she's not she's not ready to get suckered yet or suckered again, maybe. Although it would have been interesting to hear Joni in her like twenties or thirties, accomplished or attempt this kind of concept and see her a little more excited about the um, the initial stages of flirtation, and maybe a little more angry about the uh, betrayal
4: when we get to that point, which I'm sure we will. Yeah, the the sad bastard material definitely suits her <laughs> better than, or just kind of angry and yeah. anything that be- benefits from the whiskey voice
0: is kind of stronger than the other stuff if that was her internal voice at the time angry it would make sense yeah yep. shall we hit the next one yeah this is uh, one of the few
2: I was really familiar with beforehand it's uh, at last by Mac Gordon and Harry Warden rhymes
1: My love has come alone. My lonely days are over And life is like a lovely song
2: oh, Well, we got that one at last
1: at
2: <laughs> What'd you think of it?
3: I mean, you know, it's kind of like the first kind of opening to me, at least, you know, like you're in the opening movement, right? So we're kind of at the point where, you know, the landscape's opening up. You're like trying to focus in on the characters almost. That's what I yeah. think.
1: Ever since the night, you know, we're kind of, you know,
3: getting some momentum going.
2: Yeah, we are It's still introducing characters. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Now this is a song that's been done by a lot of people, so it that can frighten off a singer. I mean, because you know you're gonna get compared when... But I think she does a good job. I mean, Cindy Lauper did a hell of a version of it, but you know, that's a whole other podcast we'll get to. Did she have an orchestra? It was more of a small, big band kind of thing, but yeah, she has a, an album of standards as well. That It's a thing that a lot of Artists have done. I think Harry Nilsson was the first to really do it, but I mean, Ringo has one. Bob Dylan has a bunch. I mean, Rod Stewart's done nothing but that for the last thirty years. I think. How many of these has Shatner done?
0: Um, Shatner's not yet, but you know, one of these days. well, These are standards, after all, and that's definitely that. Definitely was our intent, right? It was yeah. to sort of piece together some story through these songs. It, it kind of reminds me of things. Um, remember the days of mixtapes? Yeah. Or you'd you'd you know give a tape to somebody because you wanted to tell them how you felt or or thought they might enjoy that sort of thing. That sort of tell some kind of story. Maybe this is her her mixtape. Her mixtape, right? I can see that, and I
2: do appreciate that. You know, she throws in less obvious songs in here. I mean. This one's a big one. Stormy weather's a big one, but most of them I was not as familiar with, so it was kinda nice to hear some new stuff on here as opposed to just the the standard standards, as it were.
3: Yeah, it's interesting to kind of mix it up with um I don't know, some lesser known standards, you know. It adds some variety, but you're still kind of in the same wheelhouse. So I made it interesting to listen to. Like uh I don't know, track listing wise it's pretty consistent but at the same time it's like variety which you know doesn't stray from the main theme at all for a concept album so it was also pretty interesting
2: yeah it all feels like of a piece which is nice even the though I mean I've not checked like the exact dates but I'm sure they range from like 1910 through 1950 or something so but it all works as one thing do we want to move on to the next one? Because I think this is where love actually comes. Uh it's Comes Love by Les or Lou Brown and some other people.
1: You can catch the inner tube. Don't try.
2: Joni never did a James Bond theme,
0: did she? <laughs> I was just going to say that. Oh, that would have been awesome. Sounds very like cool spy music. Yeah. More trumpets.
1: You
0: did trumpets. Uh, uh, yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah, it's got
4: the John Barry big band kind of production to it. Yeah, I, I tend to Those like the these cool songs things. better
2: than the more orchestral ones on this album, but they're all good. I, this is the closest anything on this album comes to rocking, I will say.
3: Oh, that's true. Yeah, I agree with you.
2: And even then, it's more slinky than rocking. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, it's slinky. She sings it well. It, I could see a strip tease to this. Sounds like she's coming around. Yeah. So things are going to go
2: south pretty quick because, you know, there's only 12 songs and we got to we got (laughs) to sabotage this relationship before we get to the end. So
4: before before we go on, I I must correct. I I did look it up really quick. And uh, apparently the reason she was uh, being heckled at the Isle of Light performance was because some some hippie fellow had interrupted her performance to make a uh, a speech about something and Joni, manage, Joni Mitchell's manager uh, promptly threw the guy the hell off the stage um, and <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> the audience uh, was pissed off about that but I, I think that the uh, uh, story is that she kind of won them back and played some encores and stuff but I, I remember there being something about that but you know Hippies are
0: difficult. <laughs> this might be a good uh, opportunity to chat a little bit about her feminism, non-feminism, uh, in, in the sense that you know she's just a b- badass woman in a very male-dominated industry, and uh, she she uh, led the way, led the charge. That a, a lot of um, uh, a lot of musicians, um, you know, men and women, but a lot of women definitely thank her for and admire her for, yet at the same time she's insistent you know, I'm not a feminist, yet she embodies everything that a feminist is it's really, um, it, it's interesting, I understand that people don't want to a lot of people don't want to be labeled with, with a, a political label mm. but, but um, just living her life the way she did was a very political thing to do
4: it's, it's kind of sad that that is true, but yes, there's something to that She reminds me of Carol Kay a little bit in that sort of like women in male, very male dominated uh, uh, music industry kind of thing. But instead of, you know, being, you know, calling herself a feminist or anything like that, she was just like, yep, I'm like a person I can hang, like treat me the same as, as anyone else. Don't, you know, don't put a He's like i don't care what you call it just i just want to be treated as a fellow musician kind of thing and they both kind of caught tons of hell for that and yeah like the first thing that everybody knows about them is that they have this prickly demeanor and <laughs> and it's like yeah maybe they just had to be real tough to deal with a unbelievable amount of shows, chauvinism and you know bullshit from musicians so good for her <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh yeah especially in folk like you can see that nowadays even unfortunately it's kind of brutal but man i couldn't imagine like being in her position in the late 60s early 70s that must have been a lot to deal with
2: <laughs> yeah i remember there's a this book that came out and she was on the um the Dylan rolling thunder tour for just a couple of dates and some guy was cornering her and say, You're one of my like favorite female singers, and she just rains down on them. Why do you have to rank us by female and male singers? Would you call Dylan your favorite male singer? Then she just goes off on him and it's
0: <laughs>
2: it was a, a fun moment to read and she I mean she's always been one to not give a fuck and and stand up for herself whether you know It's throwing some guy off stage at Isle of Wight or, you know, singing standards, you know, 30 years later.
0: Well, it really really comes down to is is whether you think people should be treated equally or not. And she certainly seemed to believe that she deserved to be treated um, equally as a musician. And uh, she delivered the goods. There's no doubt about it. Um, And I guess that I I just uh, I'm fascinated by it a bit is is the uh, and she's not the only one. I know there's other people that have the same sort of um, sort of public outcry or not outcry, but public statements. You know, don't call me a feminist or don't call me this or that in terms of a label. Um, Yet it is um, it is those people often who are who are at the front, who are who are kind of showing the way or leading the way. Or, or you know, pushing, pushing the fight, whether they, uh, whether they know it or whether they want to or not. And I, I think that's just kind of, uh, um, it's something to think about to figure out why, you know, how that happens. You know, if you are, if you are a person who is interested in, in uh, promoting, you know, ideals like that, like, like equality, it's, um, um, isn't it curious that someone who says I don't have that agenda is the one who seems to do the most?
4: Yeah, well, I, I can identify with it as a, like, you know, creative person that just understanding the whole, I, you know, I'm, I just want to be left alone to make my stuff, you know, to make my music or art or whatever. Like, I don't want to have to deal with this whole other bunch of crap. And I think that's probably, I mean, I think that's where Joni Mitchell's coming from, yeah. where she's just like, just... This is stupid. Please leave that out of it so I can go do my thing. I don't wanna to have to fight this other battle so I can, you know, just live my life how I want. And so yeah, she's she's totally a hero and a badass in that regard, but it does make you think about how that you know, how that works. And man, the music the music business, there's no other well, <laughs> you know, the the entertainment business has been famously um uh, shall we say traditional in their <laughs> way they they deal with things for a long time and and uh, where you know other other industries seem to have have the same values but they kind of try to hide them a little bit the music industry is out, uh, very very proud of their kind of sexism and stuff so I don't know I can I I see how she might clash in that <laughs> profession. And I'd much rather have someone who who's doing the work and refusing the
2: label than some, you know, performative, disingenuous, you know, person who claiming to be a feminist and actually not helping
0: in any way. Somebody's got to be willing to put up with the shit, right? And I think that, uh, you know, I mean, probably a lot of people aren't afforded the opportunity, but she was and she did. And just doing that, I think... Um, Well, you know, it allowed us to hear her music, which is mission number one, right? Which I I suppose a lot of uh, how many how many um, singers, male and female, but I imagine it's more so for females, would be pigeonholed into something like, no, you must sing these standards, yeah, right? You know, no, you cannot play your own guitar. We, We we have professionals for that, right? And it seems that was never an issue for her.
2: I, I think we've gotten a bit sidetracked. Do we want to head <laughs> get back on the, the the next song? I think is uh, "You've Changed" by Bill and Carl Fisher, or Bill Carey and Carl Fisher.
0: So so far, so far we've had um, uh, she gets excited. she thinks she's found the right guy. she falls in love and the fourth song in, he's already turning out bad. Yeah, I mean you've only been together three songs. you're only like complaining he's changed. That's, a,
4: that's not a good sign. <laughs> I like this one. So so begins the sad bastard shit on this album, man.
1: I love
4: good. Makes me want a whiskey and a
0: cigarette
3: oh, like the album covers. I'm like, yeah, now I get to the album cover. It's first on up.
2: perfect.
0: Yeah, is that one of her
2: paintings?
3: I think it is. Yeah, it should be.
2: It looks like her style of painting. I think she painted the cover to all her albums from like, you know, 1985 on or something like that. They have a very consistent look to them, so. She's not a bad painter. I mean, now she's a great visual artist. Don't quit your J job, but you know, still. So what, what has this person changed to or from, and why is she upset already?
4: They're like leaving the toilet seat up and not washing the dishes. And you know, the fridge always is open doors, not closed, like all the way. And it's just a pain in the ass. It's, It's there in the song clearly need to listen to the uh, lyrics better.
2: <laughs> it is kind of not a good sign, but, you know, good for the album that things have already gotten sour. Then again, there's enough happy love songs in the world. I don't think we need Joni to add any more.
0: Well, it's, um, it's not the toilet seat so much as, your kisses are so blasé. Yes. You're bored with me in every way. Wow. Four songs in, and we're already bored with each other. This is, yeah,
2: yeah, that went quick. Well, we don't know what the timeline is. Yes, you know, the first three songs take place year one. Song four takes place year
0: seven. We don't know. And 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 uh, well, we should we should forge ahead because there's going to be more to talk about for sure. Yes, because this next
2: track, I mean, it she's as a unab- unapologetic as she usually is this is a sort of Yesterday, apologetic song answer I me
1: my love was here to stay. won't you tell me how i've gone astray please answer me my love if you're happier without me i'll try not to care but if you still think about me please listen to my
2: so is she taking on both parts here is she apologizing that she's changed she's taking on the other guy's part or or is she you know at first worried that you know she's upset him and now is i don't know
3: yeah, I have the same thought. Um I'm like, well it would be really cool if she was like switching perspective because you know it's a concept album, but Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I could say a little bit of both, but yeah, I'm not too sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean I don't know if you know, she pushed too hard on the last song and he's like, Oh, I haven't changed and then he stops off and then she's like running after him, which seems very unjony but I, I don't know exactly because there's no like
4: specific characters on screen or anything we can reference. This is probably just my uh, taste uh, here, but uh, I, I really do think this one is kind of sappy um, and would have benefited from a little bit more jazzy approach versus the, <laughs> the strings, you know, orchestral, the sappy strings because... Uh, you layer on the sappy strings when when you need to kind of bolster of uh, not necessarily a weak idea, but when you need to pump things up. And But Joni's voice is great. Like, I could listen to her and just a little bit of really laid-back accompaniment on any of these songs, and it would sound huge. And so I, I think whenever there's the, the the sad movie soundtrack strings, it's kind of, I don't know. It doesn't have the impact of the the, like you know the songs that have uh a little bit more big bandy kind of leanings in their production so i don't know this one's fine but the soprano sax solo though bugs me then
2: again i've always hated the soprano sax and i don't know if it's just you know because i'm allergic to kenny g or what but it is a sound that (laughs) i know other people hate the accordion or hate the banjo but the soprano sax is the one instrument that just drives me up the
4: wall it kind of hurts your ears yeah matt and i have a band that's just banjo and soprano sax sweet (laughs) um
1: it's a shame Uh, that you guys guys can't play out anymore
4: yeah yeah just in time right i think i'll quarantine from that scott did you create the coronavirus just to Keep us off the streets, exactly. With our soprano saxophones and banjos.
2: I like banjos. I got nothing against banjos. It's the soprano saxophone. You got a evil instrument. You haven't heard me play
0: the banjo yet, then. Well, <laughs> speaking of uh, Joni's voice, I think this. Um, I, I agree. I don't really like this song as much as the other ones i don't really like the arrangement as much as this on the other ones i think her voice is superb on this one i think it really exposes yeah and it exposes that kind of more limited range that she's now dealing with that she's trying to work within it i think it's a little bit darker it's a little huskier i suppose and and uh um i think it it just works really well and and i think the other stuff just kind of gets in the way
4: yeah yeah on, especially on this one if they dialed the band back the, the song would have been stronger
2: well since this is a disappointment unless anyone's got
4: anything else to add <laughs> shall we uh, sorry if this is your favorite song ever well, well
3: oh, my favorite song oh my heart
4: well oh. people on the internet said mean things about my favorite song oh no <laughs> oh no no <laughs>
2: This next track is one of the uh, two original numbers. Well, I get. I'm, I'm not sure. Does this count as an original if you're. or a cover if it's, you know, something you wrote 30 years prior? But this is a, a case of you from the album Blue in 1971. I wish it was 72 because then it all would have rhymed, but.
1: Just before our love got lost, you said, I am as constant as a northern star. And I said, constantly in the darkness, where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar.
0: You're in my blood like holy wine. Indeed.
2: Maybe you should uh, get a transfusion. I wonder how many Canadian cartographers have been, you know, sneaking pictures of their own paramours into, you know, maps of Alberta and such. It seems like, you know, you don't have a whole lot of license to draw other people's faces when you're making maps. You sort of have to go with where the actual rivers and mountains are.
0: It's pretty clear this one's more autobiographical. With yes. the reference to Canada and drawing, you know, uh, Joni Mitchell having been trained as an artist, um, uh, you know, in, in, in a way, it uh, uh, lyrically perhaps it doesn't quite fit because it's it's way more personal and a lot less uh, general, um, way more metaphorical and far less specific, right? Than yeah. the other songs we've heard so far.
2: And that's more how lyrics were written in 1971 as opposed to 1941. So right, right. What you would expect, but
4: I notice vocally she puts a lot more kind of stank on a couple of the you know parts. There are a lot, and they're very jazzy and stuff. But they're flourishes you wouldn't that well that she's not throwing in there as as often on on the other songs. So I, I wonder if she's just maybe not going completely nuts on the standards but she she feels she has some more liberty yeah yeah why not so i mean i thought that was interesting i was kind of disappointed she picked some really you know
2: some obscure standards but for her own two tracks she picks like two of the three biggest songs she has Instead of something gotta a Gotta make sure
4: people buy this thing. It, well,
2: that's true. Deep cuts. You gotta buy that, Buy those chocolates. Yeah. Well, the next album, which is all just orchestral versions of earlier songs, are a lot more deep cuts. On that album, which isn't as interesting because you know the originals are better in ninety percent of those, you know, on Travelog. But it's still an interesting way to sort of wrap up your career. How well did this record
0: sell? Um, did it, didn't it win a Grammy? It did. Yeah. Well, Grammys are never wrong. <laughs> well, Grammys are an indication that something's sold.
2: That is true. Nobody yeah. wins a Grammy without selling at least a few copies. Right, right. I think it did pretty well for a Joni Mitchell album, but I don't think it did great. Then again, I don't know if she's had a big hit since, you know. Nineteen seventy four or something. Anyway,
0: yeah. And as far as the Grammys go, it, it, the category—I don't know what category she would have won in. It could have been traditional, traditional
2: jazz vocal, I think, something right, like that. Yeah, something,
0: something like that, right? Where you wouldn't have to sell, you know, five hundred thousand copies. Just right? more, no, than right. well, more than the average. Everybody else, right? Yeah. yeah. Or,
4: this is the year two thousand and you know i think uh uh, uh blank c d s might have you know might out outsell uh uh hit c d s these days in terms of record sales we're pretty much at the height of of uh
0: of compact discs moving so it must have sold something. How much more is is how much were the inclusion of this song and the other one? How much was it to sort of identify to her fans that, yes, this is really me? Or how much of of it was uh, the record company saying, look, you need to make this more commercial or 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 it could have been. No, these are the songs I think fit best with the story, which I'm a little suspect.
4: Oh, I think I think she probably was uh, throwing the record company a bone they're like ah, if i got to put some originals you know if i've got to pick originals for this they'll
0: be ones that are going to help it sell or or maybe it was the testing ground for the next album could be
2: yeah maybe i think definitely the title naming the whole album both sides now was a way of maybe tricking uh fans who aren't that uh paying that much attention into thinking this is just a greatest hits package and not realizing it's you know A new album of old songs with an orchestra behind it. I wonder how many people got fooled by the uh, the cover and the title. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Then again, those kinds of people probably liked it anyway, so you never know.
4: Yeah, if you're if you're a fan of all that, like, uh, well, either you know, blue early or Joni stuff, or the the really ambitious '80s stuff, and and you think that's what you're going to get. And you put this on, you might be kind of bummed out, <laughs> but I don't know. Hard to say.
3: Kind of odd. Yeah. I can't really find any album sales at least, but hmm, it looks like it peaked at 66 on Billboard in 2000. Not sure what category, but as far as sales go, I can't find anything about it, which it's a little suspect. But.
4: That's a tax shelter album. <laughs> What 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 quarter? What fiscal quarter did they wrap
0: up recording in? Exactly, that's the important thing. <laughs> well, I think the the song, both sides now from this album, re- revitalized a certain kind of interest in her. I mean, there are, are um, you know, there's there's videos supporting it. There's um, you know, like the Grammys. There's um, um, uh, if you go to today, twenty twenty, what year is it? Twenty twenty. I mean, 2020, if you go to um, um you know iTunes something like this, this album does come up. It's not like obscure in, in any kind of way. so so apparently this this was um, um, you know I, I generally don't gravitate towards albums of standards, yet apparently there are plenty of people that do and uh, um, but you know this song, as I said, you know maybe maybe people bought it because of this song and the other song.
2: yeah and whether they like the rest or not is um, up to them to decide
3: well it came with candy so that's
2: Candy. how bad would the record have to be for you not to buy a box of candy attached
4: to it
3: I don't know it's a good promo you know it's like the little free AOL desk you get like a free frisbee too so.
4: there you go yeah got a free jug of
0: Fago with my uh, ICP CDs there you go so Leah, do you think do you think the cover uh, this particular cover? I mean, I mean, what do you think? Does it does it, it, it does it advance the story or is it just kind of thrown in there for the Joni aficionados?
3: I mean, like if you think about it, and like the narrative aspect, I found it more of like a reflection. Like, oh man, I'm feeling this way again. <laughs> but I mean, if you take that away, I feel like it's a little bit slow. So, I'm not really sure if, like, we're moving anywhere um, chronologically in the relationship. Um, I don't know. Kind of, like, reflecting a little. But at the same time, you're kind of moving it forward track-wise, of course. But the one after this, I think that was the one that kind of moved it more forward for me, at least.
2: Yeah, it's more of an intermission where, you know, they've had their first breakup and now she feels bad about it or something. I don't know. But the next track I think is her, you know, asking him back or or they have gotten back, I'm not sure. It's a Don't Go to Strangers. When you need
1: someone to love. Don't go to strangers lover come to me
2: play with fire Get so i guess she is asking him to come back or if not come back at least don't sleep with anyone else instead of me which you know Seems to be an odd thing to ask, but. Or at least no
0: one she doesn't know.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, you've broken up. <laughs> You're on a break!
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe not strangers, you know, co workers, second cousins. Yeah. As long as it's not stranger. Sister in law. Yeah. Was Tinder round him? <laughs> in 2000. <2000? laughs> you know that's where you go for strangers probably yeah aol chat room nice i was thinking you know it would have been nice if uh, joni mitchell did like a an actual musical herself because this does sound good job of that and i'm kind of disappointed we're never gonna well probably i mean she's still around So what, like 75, but, you know, she could do a
0: narrative piece. I would like to hear that. Didn't she have a, she had a brain aneurysm. Was that it? Something very, yeah, some health scare fairly recently, but she pulled through, but, but I know she had to, she, I think it really affected her physically. Like she had to relearn how to walk or if I'm correct, I, I'm unclear,
2: Send us an email at detoursandoutmires at gmail and let us know
0: how how Joni Mitchell's health is. Please reach out. She also has some she also uh, has some strange skin disease that's not recognized by any Western authority, um, where apparently you uh, have lesions on your skin and you're convinced that there's fibers inside of them. And so you scratch away at it and you pull out these fibers. It really creeps me out in a big way. I hope I'm not creeping out all our listeners. But um, apparently when, when scientists have tested people with this condition, the fibers they found were made out of cotton, like, you know, f- fabric that they weren't from the person's body. So it's it's all very uh, mysterious what um, what this condition is. But maybe that she had this before she had her brain tumor. Maybe that was... Uh, part of the effects of the tumor, I don't know. Or aneurysm, whatever it might have been. Cotton, the fabric of our lives. So, I know that this is...
4: uh, Oh, yeah. Scary. Yeah, it is scary. (laughs) (laughs) The
2: brain is an amazing and uh, fragile thing. Well, shall we move on to the next track? Because I'm not quite sure how else... I mean, where are we at the relationship other than, you know, I want you to come back. Does he come back, or is
0: he already back, and she just doesn't want him cheating on her? I don't know if they've broken up yet completely. I think it it could be more that the things, you know, she had that pensive reflection in the bar where she's drawing pictures of Canada, and, uh, you know, now she's worried that he's going to find another lover, right?
2: Yeah, they had a fight, and he walked out, but, yeah, it's not a real
0: breakup. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not, again, who knows for sure.
2: Exactly. Someone should do like an animated film that explains all this.
0: I'm
3: sure there's at least one Disney movie that will fit, but, you know, I don't have Disney Plus, so I can't confirm.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of Disney on Disney Plus. Yeah, there's a lot of Disney on Disney (laughs) Plus.
1: Sometimes I love you. I hate you but when I hate you it's because I love you. That's how I am. So what can I do? I'm happy when I'm with
2: you. So the obvious subtitle is Usually I'm not, right? <laughs> I mean, sometimes she's happy she's happy when she's with him so she's not with him all the time so does he go talk to strangers is that what he's doing is this an on again off again thing where are we i want to map this relationship out exactly
3: seems like a very codependent
2: song it does
3: now i'm just more confused where are we held
2: I'm only happy when I'm with you. You uh, so you can't ever leave me or I will never be happy again. Is it? Yeah, that's kind of mean. <laughs> so
0: is she getting ready is he getting ready to leave or has he already left? I I don't know. I mean, yeah, we <laughs> That's the disadvantage. I tell you, I'm very I'm very happy uh, that there are songs like this that don't have the full orchestra. Um, this sort of a, you know, 40s jazz walking bass line deal with the uh, you know, the kind of big band sort of drumming going on. It's uh, it's great, it works great with her voice. You know, it sounds really good. It sounds like she could be Billie Holiday or something.
2: What she doesn't sound is happy, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Sometimes I'm happy, not now, but sometimes I I promise it's say it's happened before. I mean, she did call an album blue. <laughs> also called an album the hissing of summer lawns.
4: But, you know, I'm not sure what that means. I think Matt suggested it earlier, but I, yeah, I want or Scott. Uh, uh, an album of Joni Mitchell just doing James Bond theme songs would be yeah. great. <laughs> oh, yeah. For your eyes
2: only. Goldfinger. I mean, Carly Simon did a Bond theme. Why can't she? Yeah. Nobody does it better. Nobody. (laughs) Well, see, all the they'd all work. Yeah, I could see that.
4: Skyfall. (laughs) Chris Cornell. Madonna. What's the? Yeah, the Madonna one would be pretty tough. Ugh. Aha did one. Yikes. Yep. That, that one's good.
2: The Living Daylights. Oh yeah. People people don't give AHA enough credit. You know, I didn't even know was, that that AHA yep, did a James them. Bond theme. Yeah. Yeah. One of the Dalton movies, I think. Yep. It was yeah. the first Dalton one. I think uh didn't Bono write one for Tina Turner.
4: Uh I don't th- maybe, but I don't know if it was <laughs> recorded i think i would remember that one there's some bad ones out there but you know oh yeah no they're all terrible i mean i know we're Thunderball. come on tom jones thunderball (laughs) well so oh that one's great there's like there's a fantastic mr bungle cover of of uh mike Patton singing the theme to thunderball and a great connection there but uh um uh Interestingly, a lot of songs that were submitted as Bond themes were rejected for being kind of hip for the time and maybe actually with the what was popular at the time, and they went instead in, with something that was sort of passe and would have been really hip five or ten years earlier. That's, that's kind of how they've always done that. And so if they sound kind of like, yeah, that would have been cool ten years ago, that's quite on purpose. So. I know that when Paul McCartney submitted live and let die, they were
2: like, yeah, that's a great demo. Who's going to sing it? Yeah. Who's <laughs> going to do it? It's like, no, 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 that's, that's, it, Paul that's the song you did deal with it. Yeah.
0: Axel. Oh yes. Axel Rose. So what is uh Joni Mitchell's fa- uh, favorite Timothy Dalton movie? Goldeneye, obviously,
2: no, oh, it's probably not what? even a bond movie. Cool.
4: He's not. A- yeah. Dalton?
2: Uh, he did one with you know, Greg Kadir that was really good <laughs> where he plays an assassin I don't
0: remember the name of. Uh, it, would, it would have to be Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah.
2: Sometimes she's happy. <laughs> Sometimes she is happy. Sometimes she's just confused how we got off on this tangent. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh don't worry about Joni. See that's my cue to play don't worry about me.
1: Why not call it a day a sensible way and still For yourself. Be the rule. So is this
2: like some sort of passive-aggressive? No, no, go ahead and leave me. Don't worry about me. I'm only happy when I'm with you, but, you know, I'll be fine. Yes. <laughs> Seems a little manipulative. Darling. Yeah, don't worry about me. I'll be great. You go ahead and talk to strangers and... You know, I'll just be here drawing maps of Canada. So is, he, <laughs> so is he finally left? I think he wants to leave and this is her way of letting him go maybe? But it's kind of, you know, manipulative or at least passive-aggressive. Or maybe this is to the rest of her audience, you know, since the guy has left. Oh, don't worry about me. I'll find someone else. optimistic way I can see it. Who wrote this song? Uh, Rube Bloom and Ted Kohler. That do doesn't have any help.
0: Idea, do we have any idea of who first performed this, or or where she might have gotten this from? It's not a song I'm familiar with. I'm just trying to think. You know, pinpoint the time. I wonder if that was a. Uh, you know, a, a as far as love songs or or uh, failing failing love songs, if this was a common motif or not, sort of. Um, yeah, this. You know. I'll be fine. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And it's sort of a like you said. It has passive aggressive, and maybe there is some anger in here. She doesn't really sing it with any anger. I don't. No, I she doesn't...
2: I mean, she's telling us not to worry about her, but the way she sings it, I, I'm worried about
4: her. <laughs> right. <laughs> just saying. Well, there's a Sinatra version of this. It's the only one that I was sort of kind of uh, familiar with. But it just... This one kind of made me... You know, the the discussion you guys were having was making me think of uh, whether Joni has some close uh, personal relationship with some of these songs, or legal at the record company was like, we've cleared these standards pick from them. Um, so, yeah, there might've been some yeah, there substitutions that were made a little bit of both. <laughs> because if there was a earlier version that compelled her to cover this,
0: I'd, I, I want to know which one it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, she, she does seem to own the song um, such as it is. I didn't really think of it being sung in a male voice, but I guess it it would work if Sinatra was singing this, right? Yeah, it's the same yeah. sort of thing. You know, Frank, you could see Frank uh, singing this. Oh, don't worry about me while he's you know slamming down yet another scotch or something along those lines. When you've
4: lived uh, in love like Frank has, right?
0: Yeah. Well, we're not worried about
2: you, Frank. We're worried about the next woman you hook up with. That's <laughs>
4: right. So was Joni a big drinker? She's drinking on the cover, man. Yeah, I, I, I believe, yeah, she
2: was. I, I have nothing to back that up, but she just seems like the type.
0: Well, I mean, she was a rock star or a pop star, whatever, yeah. whatever category you want to throw her in. Um, of course, that doesn't mean she had substance abuse problems. It just means she was around a lot of substances. Yes. You, you got to wash those millions and millions of
4: cigarettes down with something. Chocolate milk. <laughs> yeah. Cholesterol, man. Uh, no, no, that's more did of that a come, Rufus Wainwright that, thing.
0: Did that come with the record? Like a box of chocolates and boxes. <laughs> some <laughs> <Yoo-hoo> <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah. Dang, this, this
2: record's making me hungry. <laughs> yeah.
4: I, I was actually looking up what kind of cigarette, what, what kind of smokes she uh, preferred, but check. But I think for a long time, she likely rolled her own. But I, I do recall an interview from probably around the time of this album, you know, a pretty recent are, you know, comparatively <laughs> in, in the modern part of her career. Yeah, I don't think she's done any interviews in a while, but she was drinking and smoking during the interview. And I just remember she was smoking something that I was just uh Kind of revolted. I was like, it was mentholated something or other. So Virginia like, Slims. Yikes. That's
0: a. It's like I think she tore the filter off of that. Uh, I was going to say whatever it was. I I bet it was not Virginia Slims. Yeah.
4: Yeah. No, it was yeah. Paul Mall. Yeah.
0: Chesterfields. <laughs>
4: yeah. She's a Marlboro Man. woman. <laughs> yeah, it was, I think it was. Yeah, she was smoking Reds and the the big ones or something, and. Tearing the filters off. It's like, yikes, that's... And she was, yeah, in her 60s or something at the time. So, like, that's pretty, pretty tough.
0: Well, yeah, and they're they're good for musicians in the sense, not for your voice. But, I mean, uh, they're a stimulant, right? It's like speed. Yeah. So... I wouldn't know. I've never smoked a cigarette, Matt. Yeah. Well, (laughs) they taste like sawdust wrapped in toilet paper. Yeah. Mm.
3: Maybe
0: she vapes now, <laughs> dude. That's <laughs> awesome. There's something about that,
2: that
4: just seems. Uh... I man, that gives me like a, a, a post-apocalyptic kind of trans-metropolitan vibes. I, I like to think she smokes out of some crazy-looking contraption contra- and wears like a like a space monocle or something. Space monocle. Is, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think we can we can weather the next song. Whether or not we do, we'll find out.
1: Keep screaming all of the time. Life is bare, gloom and misery everywhere. Stormy weather. Just can't get
2: my in that's probably one of the more familiar if not the most familiar of the standards on here so I think she takes more liberties with the uh, the melody because of that
0: I'm just gonna say her phrasing is is um it's definitely she's playing around with that as well you know and that, I think that's makes this one of the more cooler interpretations on the album in that she's a uh, She's, she's trying to do something different with something that's been done a lot. Particularly the uh, pronunciation um, this, of time.
4: <laughs> that first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> it was an odd choice. But... This is another good one that kind of illustrates let the, the uh, arranging thing when, even, me even me with the sappy strings me. in here, when they're sort the of arranged so me. that it's more of a call and response duet Kind of thing. It's way more powerful than when they're in a more, you know, harmony slash unison thing to bolster the the melody. I think Joni's strength is definitely like whether whether it's the stripped down jazzy band or the full you know sappy strings and stuff. When when they're bouncing off each other, it's really cool and it it kinds it, it sounds neat for both the band and her voice. But when they're kind of trying to lift up her voice that doesn't really need they both the band and her tend to step on each other a little bit more and this is a good example of you can have the kind of the the lush you know the the lush accompaniment but it's not this hey we're all playing the same melody at the same time with the same phrasing well and i think that's why she's also going a little more you know liberal with the uh melody here yeah 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 the the band is a nice reference for the kind of off the rails kind of stuff she's going to throw in there. And so
0: it's it has more effect. I was going to say for each of you, um, if this is not your favorite version of stormy weather, what is, I'm not sure about my favorite version,
2: but I'm probably the only person on the planet who first learned this song from Jeff Lynn's solo album, our chair theater. So I always think of this as a Jeff
4: Lynn, song. Wow. Cool. And a James.
3: Yeah, i don't agree with All that. On the
4: edit, is it the At Last record
0: is pretty awesome? Oh, yeah. Probably because yeah. I listened
4: to it like yesterday. <laughs>
0: yeah. So Etta James, yeah. You know, I was I was going to say I, I'm partial to the Allman Brothers version, but now that you say that, I think they're basically copying Etta James in the way they do it. Yeah. But Jeff Lynn has to be the winner, if not Joni Mitchell. Well, I mean, Bob Dylan did
2: record it on his latest album too. I mean, Bob needs to admit that he wants to be Joni Mitchell, and he's just not cool enough.
3: He just needs to start vaping. Obviously, at uh, the millennial.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so, so in our storyline so far, I mean, it should be obvious, but let's let's be obvious. She was lying when she said, don't worry about her, because now
2: we're the the weather's stormy and we are worried about her. (laughs) Clearly, the guy is gone in a more permanent way than the last breakup or walk out
4: or whatever it is. So we must be getting close to the end of the album. I I have to applaud the continuity in this versus many other concept things we've discussed on this podcast. you (laughs) young. Yeah. What about uh, Kiss? uh, Yeah. I am just a boy. Yeah. (laughs) Most of them that claim to have a somewhat linear concept, uh, in fact, do not. And this one, while it might be uh, not the most exciting tale. In the world uh, Tale as old as time At least least it follows through
0: (laughs) So far
2: Well it would be hard to create a a, You know a sci-fi robot space opera Out of you know Old Rogers and Hart's tunes Gilbert and Sullivan maybe But somebody should I'm I'm waiting for it Forbidden Planet was pretty close
4: (laughs) Now's the time to do it We need something to watch Indeed yeah, we are, We're not actually going to go into space anymore. Exactly. Gonna... We can't even go into the <laughs> sidewalk anymore, so yes. Yeah. We've chosen to die on this rock, so we might as well have some some far out spacey tunes to listen to. Well,
2: shall we, now that we've gone through all the cycles of grief, shall we um, get to the acceptance
0: phase? Oh, yes.
2: Or oh, the do, denial do phase where you, you think it'll just Be great next time. I'm not quite sure. But speaking of Rogers and Hart, this is a I wish I were in love again.
1: again. No more pain. Now, no more scream. Now I'm sane, but I'd rather be punched, drunk, the flying fur. Hat and crew, the finest matching of I've learned my lesson but I wish I would
2: the piano solo is nice there's not a lot of soloing on this album that isn't soprano saxophone
0: <laughs> damn you soprano saxophone I dig the piano on that yeah so so there's a there's a certain kind of um, well I guess it's not kind of she goes through hell and then she's Oh, what the hell, let's do it again. Well, the funny thing is, I think she actually sounds happier about the
2: prospect of love in the future than she ever did when she was singing about love earlier in the album. I think she likes the idea or the prospect more than the uh, actuality of it, which is why she keeps going through it. But maybe that's just my interpretation. Oh,
3: I agree with that. You know, it's good to end on some optimism. Well, almost end on some optimism, so be the twist ending
2: optimism or the cycle of abuse it's kind of the same thing
3: they have your box of chocolate
4: yeah well you know all's forgiven yeah so uh this is extra special for the podcast listeners since only since you can see this but this is one of my favorite uh, prized possessions—a picture that was given to me by my friend Tim, who cleaned out old junk houses. And it is—if you take the picture apart, if you take it out of the frame, it's an actually—it's a piece of photographic paper. It's a—it's a actual photograph um, and developed somewhat poorly too. Um, so I think this was somebody at home trying to do a home. Uh, uh, color print which is tricky if you don't have a processing machine but anyways it's from the shadows and light tour or one of those concerts and it's Joni Mitchell with Jocko Pastorius Michael Brecker Pat Metheny and you can see the drum kit but I can't remember if it's Pete or, or Don Elias playing drums on that but one of those guys sitting just out of the the picture which is pretty cool, so.
2: Well, she does sound far more comfortable with the jazz than she does with the orchestra. I think that is sort of the ultimate takeaway from this album is, you know, big band, yes, orchestra, not bad, but prefer the big band.
0: Do we know how this was recorded? I mean, was she in the room with the orchestra, I guess, is what I'm asking. I do not know. Hmm. Well, the Wikipedia has the the recording
4: location listed both in l a and London, so I'm wondering if it was orchestra in london and or orchestra in l a and then Joni in the other studio in the vocal booth for a week kind of thing um it does make or, things easier, but it is kind of disappointing i
0: I would believe either and maybe maybe it depends on the band right like maybe this song was um or in a room live-ish recording right and the other you know the big orchestras not which makes sense
4: yeah well depending on the size of the orchestra we know that you know uh there's, a, you know, big, huge live rooms at, you know, Capitol Records and various places around the world, but not that many of them. And a lot of them are quite not big enough for a full orchestra. And so you rent an orchestra hall or, you know, a concert hall or some big space where you record a giant orchestra or string section. And often that is done remotely and separately just because of the logistics of, you know, 100 or so people playing at the same time in in a room that's you know a- acoustically appropriate and, and mic'd so they can capture it so it's a it's a tough thing to do plus when you assemble the orchestra and the singer's voice is a little bit rough that day you know they all gotta hang out for a little while and <laughs> just blow air through your horns guys yeah
0: well then there's something Terrible that happened at Capitol Records recently?
2: Is there something terrible that's happened everywhere recently? I can't <laughs> Is keep that a track anymore. By the time this comes out, yes, probably.
0: No, 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 no. It was a fire or a flood or something, and the vaults got destroyed, and a whole bunch of master tapes yeah, got ruined yeah. permanently. Among them were Joni Mitchell's.
2: Yes. I don't know if it was Capitol, but yeah, there was some recent fire at some vault that. We lost a lot of master recordings, I think, but too many tragedies
4: to keep track of. Yep. They got to back that shit up, man. That's the yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's why we do everything on Pro Tools <laughs> on digitally now. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, we'll just hope it doesn't get corrupted, you know, in the future.
2: Well, in the future, we're not going to have electricity, so we're going to
0: we're all going to be screwed anyway. Well, so it just takes one EMP to destroy it all, right? Uh. it depends on how it's stored and where, but, you know. My basement.
4: Yeah. Oh, you're you're fine. That's why you <laughs> lined into your house with lead, <laughs> yeah.
0: Matt. I was wondering why I did that. We
2: won't live long enough to see it
4: all destroyed. That's why you wear that
2: cool tin hat. Indeed. Keeps you safe from the kryptonite.
0: It still has a little mayonnaise on it, though.
2: Well, yeah, you've got to <laughs> keep your sandwich in something. Well... Shall we go on to the the ultimate, not penultimate, ultimate title track, both sides now.
1: But now they only block the sun They rain and they snow on everyone So many things I would have done But clouds guard in my way
2: So, Aaliyah, very important question Do you really know clouds at all?
3: You gotta look at it from both sides
2: Indeed, there's a silver lining But the silver lining has a touch of Mm. (laughs) grey
0: I have no idea what I'm talking about (laughs) Uh, Please forgive me, Joni Mitchell fans But this particular interpretation of this song Isn't it a bit Shatner-esque?
2: Yeah, yeah it, does. Yeah, it <laughs> does it's a bit uh, melodramatic
0: right with these you know sort of long sort of pauses I really don't know clouds
1: at all <laughs> <laughs>
0: but maybe that's what she was going for
2: if so uh, success I've at
1: the love
0: is this a good capper to the uh, album
2: well, if, if, I guess it's the best way to sort of wrap it up because this this song sort of anything that has a good and a bad side is a, you can say well I don't know
0: <laughs> yeah and, and it does mention love of course right yes. that's what it all clouds whatever yeah. <laughs> right mostly clouds yeah but. the thing that always bugged
2: me about this song is that like. There's more than two sides. It's not just both sides. Isn't it? Look at all sides. But, you know, that was always just my pedantic rambling. Like a tesseract or something. Yes. I've looked at love from all eight sides now from up and down and north and west, from inside and outside, near and far. <laughs> and, and what did you come up with? I really don't know love at all. We've learned something. (laughs) Oh, no, we've learned nothing. We've learned nothing. I really don't know anything at all. That's the uh, ultimate um, capper to the song. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe
3: it's just as convoluted as the beginning. Just, you know, left of. What do I make of this? Not too sure. But at least you have your box of chocolate, so.
2: Everything's better with chocolate. That's the important. Oh, I think thing. it
0: is. It does seem like a cycle, right? I mean, does it to you guys? Like, you, you, you have this thing. You experienced a lot of things. You didn't really learn anything from it, other than that you're going to do it again.
2: Yeah. The futility. Resistance is futile. Love is the Borg. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we've learned. Love hurts, but they always you, have company. There you go. Love bites. Love stinks, but you know it's a battlefield it's the power of love can make a rich man beg can make a poor man steal it's the power of love
3: some good stuff for these times that we have around Indeed. which wasn't even you know like it is when i originally said yeah sure i'll review this
2: yeah yeah
3: like, Everything in context right
2: <laughs> exactly well i mean Nine Eleven hadn't even happened when she recorded this, so
0: yeah, that's interesting that she said that. Is is uh, obviously very different circumstances, but it does feel like there's some kind of um, uh, cultural shift going on, like a new narrative from which to view the past. Like what happened with Nine Eleven, now it's happening with the uh, the coronavirus. Yes. Um, so it's you know that's. I don't know if that has anything to do with love or Joni Mitchell's album at all, but I suppose it could have something to do with how we look at it from both sides now. From both sides, right now, <laughs> or at least a completely different side. There you go. Um, I don't. I I will be frank. I don't own a lot of Joni Mitchell records. the The things that I've had, I've always uh, enjoyed. Um, so I, I don't really know where to place this in in kind of a. Uh, um, you know, a, a graph or a chart of, of where does this belong and who she is and what she does? Well, I am i
2: don't own all of her stuff by any stretch, but, you know, I do have, you know, my parents were a big fan of what they put the three J's, Joni, Judy Collins, and Joan Baez. So we had a lot of that that I listened to as a kid, you know. Mm. And mostly we listened to uh, Miles of Isles, which was her live album. So that's where I know most of her material from. But, you know, she was... Very folky, sort of could have hung with Melanie in the early days. Then she started hanging out with like jazz cats and getting weirder and playing with an ARP synthesizer. And most that's where my parents stopped buying her records. (laughs) But yeah, the hissing of summer lawns, they always would say, Oh, don't put that one on. And that was the last one they bought.
0: I heard she switched to a digital guitar too so that she could uh, play all those. Tunings that she was fond of without having to switch instruments.
2: That, that sounds so, like something she'd do, yes.
0: <laughs> so, I, mean, I guess I'm just saying, she doesn't seem like a backward-looking person. No. She seems like she was always moving forward. Although, this album, is it moving forward? I think it was more of a... It
2: does feel partially, you know, record company commitment filler,
4: especially with the next album that came after it. But... I would like to say that in the early 2000 like around this time there is a very powerful traditionalist movement in um, uh, music school around particularly jazz and uh, you know certain eras certain eras of jazz people were around 2000 they're like they were being kind of snobby about is this jazz is this not jazz kind of stuff. Um, both out in the world and uh, um, in the, uh, um, you know, educational side of things. Um, And uh, which was good. You know, there are plenty of musicians that I really look up to who are part of that. We need to kind of like safeguard this traditional stuff before it's lost to, you know, enough of this wacky cocaine fusion, you guys like learn, you know, Learn the standards. Learn your standards. Practice the stuff. Don't don't throw in any any you know modern you know modal sounding shit into here. That's you know, um and and so that you know that had its time and it kind of came and went and it definitely was yeah, and and will happen again. Um, but uh, it was definitely going on around the time of this this album and so I, if if it does sound deliberately uh traditional, that you know it it probably is just going with the
2: times yeah I, i don't think this is a if you're looking to get into joni mitchell this is not a good place to start but she has worse albums so it's not like you know the save this
4: one for last either but i don't think it tells you much about joni really no 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 if you have the context of what she where she came from and and what she's done before this it's really neat um and i you know i listened to a couple of my favorite joni records uh, before I or you know parts of them anyways, um, before I, I started uh, listening to this thing, and it was really cool at first. It was, you know, it's it it benefits from the juxtaposition of of some of our wackier stuff. Yeah, but as a as a standalone, it's it's okay.
2: <laughs> this is a type of album that many people have tried, and she does it better than a lot of them. I mean, the George Michael has one. Ringo Starr has one. Not Shatner. The Shatner, no Shatner. One of these days, he's still alive too. He's probably about Joni's age, and they're both from Canada. Maybe they hooked up. Ooh, Shatner and Joni. There's a sex tape I want to see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Had um, Starbucks started selling CDs in their their shops yet? No,
2: which is ironic because the last Joni album, which came out in two thousand seven. Which actually came out on the Starbucks label that, you know, existed briefly um, because she quit the music industry because she was so fed up with the commercialization and commodification of music back in 2000. So when she came back with her one last album, the fact that she put it in the Starbucks here music label where you got a free copy with your latte was odd. I've not listened to it. It's
0: not quite a box of chocolates but but yeah. pretty good. Though. She knows how to sell. <laughs> yeah, I would say I think it's for reasons I said earlier. I I think it is a bit forward looking in the sense that she's she's trying to deal with who she is at that moment and and with particular physical limitations. And uh you know and and I think uh, if you're starting to get fed up with the record industry like I got to put an album out, why don't I do this? Why don't I um um, you know, see what my voice can do, what it can handle. You know, I got um, my ex-husband's way into this. We got this great arranger and orchestral writer. I can't remember what the guy's name was, but um, um, why not? Yeah. I, and, and you know, so even though the songs are are um, of a different era, you know, I think this might have been a way to move forward for her. Agreed. But do I want to listen to it again? You need to tell me. Um. I, I don't see you putting it
2: on very often, but uh, I don't think you'll mind if it comes up on shuffle, which is about
4: the best you can say for an album these days.
1: Yeah.
4: It, it's some of the more forgettable Joni Mitchell that I've listened to. It's tough to listen to all at once, I think is the problem. I, a couple
2: of tracks, and then I have to walk away and do something else and then come back for a few more. Not because they're bad, it just... It, you get fatigued.
3: You have to take a smoker vape break?
4: Exactly. That's right. Haven't you been smoking and sipping whiskey the entire album? <laughs> There's instructions <laughs> right on the cover. This is how you're that's supposed to look while right. you listen. She's got like a Manhattan or something.
0: Yeah. Nice cigarette. From the album cover, it looks like she was a wine drinker, but... Hard to say for sure.
2: Yeah. She probably wasn't too picky, but I mean, she high class taste, but not picky as to you know the actual type of alcohol. Again, speculating.
0: How about this? If you're um, you kind of did mention a couple people already, like uh, Joan Baez. Um, it seems that everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but an awful lot of people really like Joni Mitchell. Yes. Like even Led Zeppelin were Joni Mitchell fans. Prince was a huge fan. Yeah. Apparently that song going to California was their, their tribute to, um, to Joni Mitchell. And she's, uh, she's referenced in the song, um, although anonymously, um, but still um, um, I, I guess what I'm thinking is, is, is if people don't know about Joni Mitchell, right? Yeah. Who could we aim this album for? Who could we aim her earlier stuff? for um well i think you know if you like jocko but
2: you don't want to hear jazz <laughs> which seems stupid um then you know some of her you know 70s albums have some some great bass playing on them sorry i stole logan's thunder there was
4: that one yeah <laughs> yeah 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 that well um if you're not if you like jazz standards like crazy and you just got to hear every freaking version of every jazz standard, then this album is for you. But, uh, if you've never heard of Joni Mitchell before and, uh, you know, the album blue is great, but uh, I would recommend going on YouTube and watching the whole performance of the shadows and light tour. They didn't, it was a live album. They recorded, I mean, Andy Johns produced it, um, or engineered it rather. And, uh, um, uh, there's uh there was a, a concert vhs tape and later dvd of that that is is on youtube and a bunch of places watch that that'll give you joni gets to flex a bunch on that one i mean in, in fact i think there's plenty of tunes where she's per it's pretty much just her and acoustic guitar or at least at least a little bit of that and then this incredible band complete with solos and far out stuff and just a lot more musical variety than than you would get from this. And even, you know, do they do Goodbye Pork Pie Hat or something like that on that one? So, I mean, there's jazz standards on that one, too. There's a little bit more mutated and, you know, fusioned out. But that's a great representation of of how, you know, kind of cutting edge and uh, experimental she can be. She does have two compilations, one called Hits and one called Misses.
2: And I would get the misses because you probably already know the hits, but the misses are just, you know, her personal favorite deep album cuts all compiled onto one CD. And that's a good place to sort of explore more deep Joni. Did Devo steal that from her? Uh, I, I Ironically, I got both <laughs> Devo's greatest misses and Joni's misses from a Columbia house at the same time. <laughs> I saw both of those titles like well i i know nothing about either one really i'm gonna dive in this way that's fantastic well is there anything else we need to discuss or is that wrap it up for Joni mitchell's uh trajectory through the land of the great american songbook
3: uh as a side note you can check out her paintings on her website it's pretty extensive it's also really cool
0: she's got a nice website yeah yeah. I know I mentioned earlier that she, she was trained as a painter I, I believe that that's what her aspiration was I guess it's good she stuck with it but you know an artist needs to pay bills yeah don't quit your day job Joni Mitchell and Paul Simon and Phil Hartman <laughs> yeah Phil, Phil Hartman Ronnie Wood I forgot
4: about that yeah rather rather be
2: painting indeed well is there anything you want to plug um death in space I, I i suppose everything's online or virtual so where can people find you or follow you or or virtually stalk you online well
3: let's see nowadays death in space is mostly on Bandcamp. um kind of do house music on the side as spar that's s-p-a-r-g-o-b Um, what else do I do? I'm on Twitter that's kind of entertaining Um, yeah, I had a run of shows that I was going to plug, but I'm stuck in my house (laughs) so yeah, um, if you find me on Facebook I go on Facebook Live and make stuff what is that stuff? I have no idea, it's kind of free form so yeah, that's pretty much what I do nowadays, unfortunately
1: well
2: we're working with what we got these days (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we appreciate you coming in or calling in. Um, it's been a challenge, but I think we made it through. Um, hopefully, this sounds good to you, the listener. Uh, we do humbly ask that you take a minute to go to, into whatever podcasting application you are currently using, and uh, you know, rate us, review us, uh, send us a note, let us know that you know we're not crazy, and people are listening. Um, You can always drop us an email at detoursandoutliers at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or future albums we should cover. And I guess that'll do it for this week. And uh, tune in next week when we try and figure out who this is.
0: Off TMX, the vape store.
2: <laughs> That's an essential business. Yeah, I think so.